Hey, welcome to The Briefing. It's Friday, February the 5th, and on today's briefing, we're going to look at the GameStop Reddit v Wall Street story. But this is the first time that a coordinated decision or action has been taken, to my knowledge, that's really made a massive difference. So the internet's changed hugely there. Yeah, you'll find out what short selling actually is and whether it should be banned. First up, Anikis Methos is here as we bring you the big stories of the day. Australia has secured another 10 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine. Yeah, good news. That's double our previous order. And along with the other vaccines, that brings the total number of doses we're getting to 150 million. The vaccine rollout remains on track, respectively, for the last week of February for Pfizer uh, and the first week of March uh, for AstraZeneca, subject to the TGA in terms of AstraZeneca. Health Minister Greg Hunt there. And despite fears of a global vaccine shortage... Prime Minister Scott Morrison says we're well covered. That puts us in a very good position, particularly with our sovereign uh, vaccine production capability. Ahead of you know many countries like New Zealand, for example, we understand won't commence until April, I think it is. So, Annika, it seems like there's a bit of pressure on the government here to get enough of the Pfizer vaccine, but also to get enough doses quick enough. How do you think they're going in this area? Yeah, they were sort of keen to, um, at one stage, hold off a little bit and see how the vaccine went overseas. But... You can't really have it both ways. You either trust the vaccine and you want to build that confidence and you want to get it here quickly or you don't trust the vaccine. And, of course, our government trusts the vaccine, so they are now under pressure to roll it out quite quickly. That is happening this month. Hopefully later this month we'll start to see people get that jab. But we are behind the rest of the world. We do know other people are getting it. So given we're still having these little outbreaks from hotel quarantine, I think there is a lot of pressure mounting on the federal government to do something about this. And Scott Morrison finally got a moment with Joe Biden on the phone. Yeah, it probably came a little bit later than with the last president. We know they seem to get along quite well, or maybe it was that other leaders didn't necessarily get along <laughs> with so well with Trump. But yeah, Scott Morrison announced yesterday that he has spoken and had his first call with Joe Biden. And he said they had a very positive discussion. Mm, very interesting. Just one more bit of um, federal politics news. Seems like the pressure is building on uh, increasing or extending the job seeker payment. Yeah, we know Scott Morrison did flag that something was going to happen here. There is a number of coalition MPs coming out and saying, surprise, surprise, Mm. they couldn't live on $40 a day. So the Nats have been really pushing for this for a while and Barnaby Joyce is one of them. They say that a lot of people in their electorates are struggling and that putting it up will help. Yes, we're watching that one very closely on the briefing. Perth will get its heaviest rainfall in months over the next few days, which is very welcome news, as that bushfire emergency continues on the northeast edge of the city. Yeah, at this stage, 81 homes have been lost, and they say that number isn't likely to rise unless the blaze flares up again. My young brother's house... (laughs) It destroyed... (laughs) That was one local speaking on 10 last night. The Wurraloo Firefront is now 130 kilometres wide. Yeah, and if you're listening from that area, get the latest info from emergency.wa.gov.au. Meanwhile, still in WA, more than 2 million people will come out of that five-day lockdown as long as there's no new cases today. Yeah, there will still be some transitional restrictions for Perth and Peel, including mandatory masks outside, gathering limits and travel restrictions. And even though there were no new cases after the first one was announced on Sunday... Premier Mark McGowan maintains the lockdown was not an overreaction. I've laid awake at night worrying about that. Was it an overreaction? I don't think so. Because let's imagine, had we not done this, 
and we had cases out there incubating in the community and people moving around and spreading it. Yeah, and in Melbourne, a kind of a similar situation. There's also been no new cases found since that Australian Open hotel quarantine was found to be infected on Wednesday night. And despite pressure to stop the event, the Australian Open will be going ahead on Monday. And clearly this issue of hotel quarantine is causing a lot of headaches all around Australia. We also saw that snap lockdown in Queensland. Uh, And to try and deal with that, the Queensland government's in talks with the federal government about a regional quarantine facility. Under the proposal, the Commonwealth would stump up the cash for the purpose-built hub near Toowoomba. In return, Queensland would up its cap on international arrivals by 500 a week. And Collingwood players have penned a joint apology after this week's report found systemic racism at the club. In the letter, which opens with the word sorry, they apologise to anyone who has been marginalised, hurt or discriminated against because of their race. It was fully endorsed by 120 staff. And star defender Darcy Moore has told the ABC the report was a very hard read. For all of us, it's not who we are now and it's not the environment that we know and the environment that we put so much into. And we felt really shocked and stunned by what it said. Um, And we felt like we needed to say sorry. When you see the letter, it's got sorry in massive print right at the top. Is that more of the reaction you were hoping for as a Collingwood fan, Annika? It certainly is quite a contrast to the opening lines we heard from Eddie Maguire earlier this week when he said that it was a proud day for the club. And of course, he did then apologise for that apology. Um, Mm. So, look, I think this was, the tone was much better this time. Obviously, it's created, you know, anger amongst the club. As Darcy Moore said, they're they're not this club anymore. They want to change, and I think this is a good start. All right, in a moment, we're going to talk about GameStop. But first, remember, we're doing the weekend briefing. And this week, uh, Jamila Rizvi... What can we expect? This weekend, we are chatting to former world number four tennis player, Yelena Dokic, who is now a commentator for the Australian Open. We, of course, have a chat about what's going on at the Aussie Open with hotel quarantine and all the players complaining and the breaches and all of that stuff. But we also get into Yelena's life, which has been a really traumatic and tumultuous one, but she is doing better than ever now. You do not want to miss this one. Yeah, wow. That'll be awesome. Yelena Dokic on the weekend briefing tomorrow with Jamila Rizvi. GameStop surging another 51%. Shares are now up more than 60%. Our team is, of course, monitoring uh, the situation. What has happened is it's turned into a casino. It's it's called the gamification of the market. The billionaires and some hedge funds are yelling because they're not the only ones who make money when the manipulation works. The GameStop Reddit versus Wall Street story has been one of the most surprising and fascinating stories of the year so far. If you haven't heard about it, last week a Reddit forum jacked up the price of shares in a bricks and mortar video game store in the US to spite the Wall Street investors who'd bet on the company failing. Now, Tom, you reckon this story ticks all the boxes of being a big cultural moment of our time? Yeah, and I mean moment in inverted commas because <laughs> I guess that's a whole new thing in itself. But basically it involves the internet. It's got the internet mob and, and meme culture element with this big Wall Street bets Reddit group. Um, Even the name is kind of a meme and a piss take. Elon Musk has been tweeting about it. Every moment needs that. Um, It's got the little guy, the small-time internet investor, attacking the entrenched power and privilege 
of the big Wall Street investors who've always had lots more access to information and also control big enough amounts of money to move the markets normally. And now we've got a group of small-time investors doing that. Even COVID comes into it because the pandemic's given more people to watch the stock market and trade. And it's also seen mind-boggling returns for tech companies, which has a lot of people frothing. And the tech theme runs through the story in many ways, not just through the people connecting on on Reddit, but even the trading platform Robinhood, which has been a big player in making trading more accessible for small-time investors. And there's also that intergenerational element, Annika, of young people banding together online to outsmart older people who've been getting rich off the market for decades. And to top it off, any moment needs a conspiratorial element. <laughs> and this is probably one of the, the more credible conspiracy theories going around at the moment, that the big end of town have rigged the system in their own favour. It sounds pretty much like a David and Goliath battle. Is it just a case that I guess the stock market isn't ready for the internet in this way, this mm. sort of access to information and social media where it it's coming out and people are getting this power that they once didn't have? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's wind it back a bit and find out how this all began what short selling actually is and whether GameStop has killed short selling. Scott Phillips is Chief Investment Officer at Motley Fool. Scott, how did this whole moment start? This particular one started with a couple of people on an internet forum on Reddit and one guy in particular who seems to have done the research and we think he's probably reasonably well connected or at least if not a professional investor, a very, very capable and experienced one who realised that GameStop in particular, of all the stocks out there, was particularly vulnerable to what he tried to create, which was a short squeeze. And again, we won't get, we'll get explain the jargon a little bit later. But yeah. it, basically, he realised that if he got enough people to all at once go and buy those shares, it would create a whole heap of pain for some specific short sellers who would take it on GameStop. Now, whether you believe the the theory this is a, a social movement a la Occupy Wall Street in a digital space where they wanted to <laughs> you know make a point, yeah. uh, whether it was someone just trying to make some money and realizing this was a really smart way to do it, we may never know, but certainly that's the origin of the story. So go back for a second here. What actually is short selling? And I know it's pretty hard to explain off the top of your head, but give it a go. <laughs> it is. I'll do my level best, Annika. Look, <laughs> short selling is profiting from shares when they fall rather than they rise. Now, the average investor, I've never shorted in my life. The average investor wants to make money when shares go up. You want to buy it at 10 and sell it hopefully at 100 or something and make a tenfold <laughs> return. That would be a, that'd be a lovely, uh, that'd be a lovely return as, a, as an investor. The short sellers do the reverse. They look for companies they think are overvalued, uh, whether they're just simply too expensive or they're going to go broke or they're frauds, and they try and effectively make money when the shares go from 100 down to 10. Now, that's, so that's, that's reasonably easy to understand that the detail gets a bit difficult because the way to do that is a little strange. What you have to do is you go to a, a broker and you say, look, have you got any investors who own shares in, and we'll say GameStop because we're talking about that. Have you got any investors who own shares in GameStop? And the broker says, yeah, I do. And the short seller says, can I borrow those shares and sell them? But I promise I'll buy them back and give those shares back to you at some future point. So what effectively happens is they borrow these shares at 100 they sell them to the market, pocket their 100 bucks, Then they buy the shares back, hopefully for them, at that $10 mark, and they give the shares back to the original owner, costing them $10, and they get to pocket the $90 difference. They, they made $100 in the sale, they bought them back for 10 and they pocket the difference, or that $90. That's the theory of it, and when it works, that's what happens. Of course, if it goes the other way and the shares keep going up, 
they have to buy the shares back at 200 or 500 or 1,000, uh, and that's when it gets really, really painful for short sellers, and that's the sort of thing we saw with GameStop. And when do they have to buy them back? Do they agree on a, a time frame when they make that initial agreement to borrow the stock? Not usually, but often what happens are two things. The first is they have to pay interest when they borrow those shares, as you would expect. So they effectively say, look, let me borrow your GameStop shares. I will give you, and it might be 5% of the value um, on a regular basis. So that's the first thing. It costs them money to do. The second thing is if the shares go up rather than down, the broker says, hey, 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 if you want to keep this short position open, in other words, if you want to, if you want to keep waiting for the shares to fall, but if they're going up, you've got to give me more money because I'm taking on more risk now. You borrowed about 100, they're now at 200. I want you to, to pony up some cash because I'm really worried now you're going to leave me in the lurch and not have the money when it comes to needing those shares back. And so if you're a short seller and the trade starts going against you, not only are you paying interest on that, you're having to stump up more capital just to keep the broker happy that you're a decent risk in case the shares don't go back down. Now, Scott, I'm pretty new to the stock market and have a pretty modest investments, but I always thought what we were trying to do is look at long-term strategies to build wealth, mm-hmm. not this sort of quick play. So would you actually advise people to invest in this way? So I personally wouldn't. I I think you're exactly right, Annika. I Look, for, for the vast bulk of us, 99.9% of us, there is no need to start playing silly buggers with your investments. Mm-hmm. And it's tempting in the GameStop story. A lot of people are seeing that saying, look, look, these people made some money. I should do this too. Um, it, it's just you're paying the interest, as I said. You're having to pony up cash. And the shares, you know, with, with shorting, the problem is the most you can make is 100%. If I bought those shares, or borrow those shares, sorry, at 100 bucks, they go to zero, I make 100% of my investment. If those shares go to 1,000, though, I lose 10 times my investment because I've got to find $1,000 to mm. buy them back at some point. So it's a really, really leveraged bet. So, Scott, could this be the death of short selling? And, and is it unethical? Is it speculation just for the sake of speculation? As you said, those other markets work just fine without short selling. And, and this seemed to be the inference of the Wall Street traders that, that short selling was almost evil. Yeah, Tony, this is, I mean, this gets, it gets, you know, philosophical pretty quickly and, and everyone's got their own different morals and ethics on this sort of stuff. So will it be the end of short selling? No, absolutely not. Um, in fact, it's also worth remembering, by the way, some of the pain that's happening now isn't all that different to the GFC. It wasn't exactly the same, but effectively, you know, 10 years later, we'd forgotten all the lessons of the GFC and people are getting themselves in trouble all over again, which seems to be the habit of finance. We've got about a 10 year memory and then we forget everything. It won't be the end of short selling, no. What it will be the the end of, I think, is the more indiscriminate short selling and short sellers really understand there is more risk than they're used to. Now, is it unethical? Uh, I probably put short sellers in two brackets. So the, where I don't like short selling, I mean, I, I, if it was up to me, honestly, I'd, I'd get rid of it. I'd ban it. I don't think it adds to the market, but that's okay. that's different. That's a personal view. Is it unethical? The, the group of short sellers who do it legitimately and properly, and there's plenty of them in Australia, some really high profile guys who do it well, they take their position and they just let it go. They let the investment merits play out. And I can't really complain too much about those people because they're not doing anything other than just simply taking the alternative bet. You know, we when I bet on the races, I don't really. If I was going to bet on the races, the bookie takes the other side of it. Two sides of the bet is not a problem. What I have a problem with is a small but not but, – but, or small but very noisy group. Um, and the jargon they're given in the trade is short and distort. Yeah. Now, these are people who take their short positions – and then they go and make a whole lot of noise in the media to try and create the very outcomes they're looking for. They go out with their glossy 60-page reports with these damning allegations and photos and say, see, this whole thing's a fraud. It, it should be sold down. Then, of course, the natural human instinct is to panic, and that's what creates that problem. So it is kind of a distorted response by the market, which makes it dangerous for everybody. 
With this whole GameStop episode, we've really seen it, as you say, go viral. It started on sort of Reddit and then it gets into the media. And how much has, I guess, the internet changed the way people invest and what sort of damage can it do? Wow, so hugely, Annika. And this is this is really important. So firstly, of course, you have, although most obviously, you have the, the Reddit crowd. And this was a reasonably obscure subreddit called Wall Street Bets. Now, you know, not many people followed this thing. And it wasn't really till the share started to move that anyone else even paid attention to it. And it became a story because this small group, I, once they started the snowball, and again, this is the problem with shorting, once they started the snowball, it kind of carried away by itself. But then, of course, once it started to roll, people noticed it and then jumped in. So it became viral, as you say. And, and that was that's a huge difference. I've never seen anything like that before. We have seen on social media, kind of the, I mentioned Tesla before, the Tesla bulls and the Tesla bears. So bulls are people who think the shares are going to go up and the bears are people who think it's going to go down. They've been super vocal, particularly on Twitter. And just, it, gets, it gets really ugly, this, the two groups on Twitter. So we kind of started to see some of that. But this is the first time that a coordinated decision or action has been taken, to my knowledge, that's really made a massive difference. So the internet's changed hugely there. Yeah, um, one of the things that made this a cultural moment was Elon Musk tweeting about it. Um, he's also been tweeting about cryptocurrencies. Um, what has this whole episode meant for cryptocurrencies? So this has also been fascinating, the, the kind of the involvement of the – so, you know, we know the internet has its own subculture. It has different own subcultures, plural, really. There's a whole lot of different cultures out there. The ability for those groups to coalesce on the internet is one of the greatest things about the internet, right? I, you know, I don't need to find someone like me in my neighborhood. I can find someone like me around the world. So that's that's been great. And then when you have someone like, a, frankly, a cult figure like Elon Musk, and there's been a couple of others too, Mark Cuban, the US billionaire, and a couple of others have been really involved in this GameStop saga. And it's given people almost the license, almost the kind of, you know, the the, the, the figurehead, you know, uh, informally of these movements saying, yeah, you guys should do more of this. Uh, you know, we saw, I saw one tweet say, yeah, Papa, Papa Musk, they call him. Papa <laughs> Musk said we should keep going, so let's keep going. There's a massive overlap between the Wall Street bets kind of latecomers, the libertarians or the, the little guy wanting to fight back, the Occupy Wall Street guys, and those who like Bitcoin for kind of the same reasons. Yeah, there's an amazing cultural cross-section with this whole entire story, yeah. um, which is what makes it a real moment of our times. Scott, great to get your insights and a, a bit of advice there on how to approach these things sensibly. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Annika. All right. That was Scott Phillips. And GameStop's share price has come down dramatically from its high last week of over $450. This week, it's been closer to $100, but I'm not uh, silly enough to predict where it will go from here. I was about to ask, Tommy, you're a big fan of the stock market. Were you tempted by this at all? <laughs> um, these things move too fast for me. I'm a bit more in the Scott Phillips approach of like, invest in something that you think will work in the long term because, you know, the stress of sitting and watching things move and, and making and losing money is just not where I want to be because you'll just be on your smartphone all day. And it sounds like Scott agrees. Slow and steady wins the race. That is it for Annika and I today. Uh, tomorrow on the weekend briefing, it'll be in your feed from 6am, Jamila Rizvi talks to Yelena Dokic. Podcast One Production.